one of the major questions that have come up is whether COVID is going to boost digital service provision in Africa or whether this is just wishful thinking. Here's my take. The COVID pandemic has put a spotlight on the desperately inadequate healthcare infrastructure in Africa. African economies are facing a growing threat of emerging pandemics whilst dealing with several other ongoing pandemics like HIV AIDS, malaria and COVID-19. Large numbers of people across the continent do not have access to healthcare services near their homes. And this prevents countries from meeting basic healthcare needs of populations and impairs their ability to prevent and respond to pandemics or health emergencies. So to make health systems more resilient and ensure sustainable development, African countries will need to step up investment in developing the physical infrastructure like clinics and hospitals, transport, energy, water and sanitation and connectivity. Because here's the thing, without a robust foundation of strong healthcare systems, the economic development of African nations will continue to be fragile. According to the African Development Bank, less than a year of the COVID pandemic wiped out more than a decade of economic development and reversed hard-won health gains, driving 50 million Africans into poverty. One way to plug the infrastructure gap in health and education is to harness the power of information and communication technologies, ICT, to reach more people using digital services to supplement what little is available. But just how big is the gap we're talking about? According to the African Development Bank, Africa's infrastructure investment gap, which also includes ICT infrastructure, reached 108 billion US dollars in 2018, and it continues to grow. So with a gap this wide, is the idea of using technology to leapfrog wishful thinking? Yes, mobile phones connected millions of unbanked Africans to mobile money services, but connecting people to basic services like education and health requires much longer periods of connectivity than the transient ones that would be needed for mobile money services. For example, a child who needs to access the classroom or a mother accessing the clinic remotely needs to spend an extended period of time online, which requires a mobile device that is charged with electricity and access to the internet by having prices of data that they can afford. My next guest on Let's Talk About Health in Africa is Mr. Mpe Abang, the Editor-in-Chief of IT and Telecom Digest in Lagos, Nigeria. Mr. Abang, welcome to Let's Talk About Health in Africa. Thank you, Lydia. Thank you for inviting me. 
So I thought we could start by talking about the state of ICT infrastructure in Africa, since you have been following developments in this sector for a number of decades. So we have seen major disruptions of basic essential services like health and education as a result of COVID-19 restrictions and, and, and shutdowns. And patients have been afraid to go into health facilities, health professionals afraid to attend to patients for fear of infection. And every time the question of how countries are going to minimize disruptions of services in the future or expand primary health care to reach more people with health care services comes up. The solution that many people universally offers is that we are going to use digital services to connect patients to health care services, leveraging technology to bridge the gap in available infrastructure. So you've been working in the ICT sector and following the developments, the challenges, the opportunities for a number of decades. What is your observation on the current state of ICT infrastructure across the continent? Thank you very much for that um, overview. Now, let us look at what has happened in Africa in the last two decades or a little more. Um, you would agree or understand that Africa did not have, let me use Nigeria as, as, a, as, a, as a typical example. When ICT came into Nigeria, specifically GSM, um, a lot of people thought that there was a miracle that happened, but it wasn't really a miracle. It simply means there was nothing on ground and then something that was easier to adopt came. Uh, in Nigeria, as at 2001, when GSM started, there were less than 400,000 functional telephone lines, which nobody could actually read. For a population then of about 150 million people, you can imagine what how that is far apart from servicing anybody. Now, within 10 years, and today that we talk, the, almost everywhere you have GSM access and stuff like that. But you see, in 2019, the GSM, GSM Association put the same card connection in Africa at 747 million. 747 million in entire Africa. Most of the people that carry a lot of these lines can actually afford a little level of healthcare for themselves. The people who need the healthcare that you and I are worried about are those in the rural areas, those in semi-urban areas, who are in slums, who can't even afford a meal a day. Now, the first thing you worry about is you want a region with healthcare, and you want it to first of all have ICT connection. How does that come about? That's a cost. You first have to factor in. Are you going to give them first the ICT connection, or are they going to provide it for them I mean, by themselves before you now reach them with healthcare? Now, you also have to understand that. The healthcare system in Africa is still more or less on its needs. Now, if you don't have a plan, if you don't have a strategy to get to people, even if the facilities exist, you cannot get there. A lot of our governments, perhaps they go and put to meetings and discuss, you know, very big um, issues and stuff like that. But when it comes to real implementation, it is still a difficult thing. If we go back to ICT, for instance, infrastructure is the greatest challenge you have in Africa. Broadband connectivity is just not there. It's been a drawing board for ages. So, whereas 
mobile connectivity is available, it is poor, it is weak, and it is still expensive. Now, before you and I started speaking here, you could see that I had to change from one mobile, sorry, one connection to another to be able to be talking with you. If you compare what happens in Geneva, I know that you don't have to have so many mobile lines like we have in Africa because the, the infrastructure exists. There's a backbone that exists there. You can even use a normal landline and then you do your work more. In fact, making this discussion on a normal landline is a lot more robust than using a mobile connection. I'm using a mobile connection. That's why you, have, you can see the challenge. And then, of course, you find out that the regulatory system is still under um, where you, 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 actually, you cannot actually say that it's independent of itself. Where you have government itself breathing down a regulator in certain countries, then they cannot look at what will benefit the people, but what will benefit the government in power. Yes, of course, the issue of security comes in, but the point is, if your interest is the health of the people, you will be more interested in looking for infrastructure that reaches everywhere in the country so that the least or the poorest people have access to this infrastructure. Today, I can tell you uh, for sure that I'm sure you are, you, are, you are familiar with South Africa. The infrastructure in South Africa is a lot more robust than you have in a place like Nigeria. Whereas, we could have had the same situation. Now, you have a population, the number of children that we get added to our population every year in Nigeria is about 7 million or a little bit above that per year. If you add that every year and ask yourself, do we have plans to take care of these people, especially, especially in the rural areas? Because a lot of people have more children the side in rural areas are among the poorest of the poor. If we don't have a strategy to factor this into, into the region and then plan for them, even if you bring in infrastructure tomorrow, infrastructure on ground, you will still have the challenges. Then you ask yourself, what are the plans when we do our budgets every year? What is the budget for ICT? What is the budget for health? What is the budget for, health, for, for education? Because you don't have educated people, then you're going to have issues with health. If you don't have people who are informed, if you have people who are illiterate, who are ignorant, even if you give them medication, they will not know how to use them. Do we really have plans for our education system? So it is, for me, I'll call it a, a, a total plan, a total picture, a total uh, movement. If we are going to do that, yes, COVID has come. We are all worried about, and we're thinking that, oh, ICT will help us to leapfrog and use, uh, use, use it to be able to reach the poorest of the poor. But the point is that in a lot of the African countries, the worry now is even only more about how do they get vaccines to the people? These are, are not even enough in the West. Now, how do we get them? Are we going to get them for free? Or are we going to pay for them? If we even get them for free, how do we make sure they get ready to everybody? Do we have access? In a lot of the countries in Africa, there are no roads. And then you have the challenge of security. So there are things that will even impact and make sure that even if you have ICT infrastructure, which we don't have, even if we have, you will still have the challenges of making these things reaching those who actually need them. Yes. No, it's, I mean, the whole point of thinking about using ICT or digital health services, like you rightly say, it's to reach those people that do not have healthcare facilities close to them to be able to connect them to clinics, to nurses and doctors who can attend to them. But again, they have to have the mobile connectivity and you're saying that the infrastructure is not far reaching enough to reach those people in underserved communities, the exact people we want to target and to be able to reach. 
and of course data is expensive they would have to be able to pay for data to get online to connect to a doctor or to to the classroom so is the expectation that african countries will be able to bypass some of the physical infrastructure gaps like clinics and and hospitals using ICT to provide basic services like education and health realistic it is always good to have very good and high hopes but the point is that if you want to leave from abuja or lagos to geneva there are some ways you can use yes you can go by road but you know how long it will take you you can go by train you also know how long it will take you. You can go by ship. But if you go by air, you know it takes you faster. It also costs you more. Now, Africa has an opportunity that they can take advantage of. The point now is, are we ready to take advantage of it? And that opportunity is mobile connectivity. If, for instance, African governments are able to sit down and not leave the backbone provision for commercial operators only, then it is easier for mobile operators to plug into that backbone and then play, what we call plug and play. But if the operators have to first provide the backbone in order to be able to ride on it to provide the services, it will take a longer time mm. and it will be more expensive, which is what is happening now. Broadband is what we all need, but broadband cannot work where you don't have a backbone. Now, in a country where you don't have a backbone and an operator has to operate, he sees the opportunities. He provides a backbone. And who pays for that backbone eventually is the customer. That's why the cost of internet in Africa is still very, very high. So if governments can say they want to invest in backbone provision and allow the operators to plug into that, back, that backbone and then provide service, the cost of internet will come down. That's number one. And number two is that it will be easier for operators to even roll faster and reach to the greatest population and reach all the news and carries of the, of the of the continent. But insofar as we expect to provide everything at a commercial cost, the end user is one that pays for it and it is more expensive. Now, if you are going to use, as I started said it earlier, if you are going to use an X amount of money, let's say two dollars, to buy your connection. And then you are ill, you only need maybe 50 cents for the treatment. You can see that the, the cost for the treatment is very little, but the cost of connection is so high. And if you don't have the way for the connection, what happens? You lose the treatment. Now, to be able to allow people to have that access to the, to the treatment using mobile connectivity or ICTs, governments in Africa must first ensure that there is backbone connectivity in all African countries and in all cities, not just in a few cities which people feel that they are more attractive because they have more population and then it's easier for the operators to make money from them. That is still a commercial venture. Healthcare must not be seen as a commercial venture anywhere in the world. Healthcare is a service that the people deserve from each government. If African countries see it like that, then they have to look at the opportunities that the acid sector provides for them to use it to leverage on it and provide healthcare to their people. This, this is possible, but only if only if there's a plan for that, there's a budget for that, and then there's a, a real movement to make sure that that actually that, that happens. If we only talk about it, 
It will not happen. There has to be a plan. It's like traveling to anywhere. You have to have a plan. You have to have a ticket. You have to pay for that ticket. Then you keep to your time to take to, to, to fly and get there. So right now, the picture looks very rosy. It looks very attractive. But do we have a plan for it? I don't think there is a plan now ground for that. That's yeah. my fear. And it's a good point that you make. If government was to provide the backbone that allows operators to come and plug into that and provide services at a much lower cost, there would also increase competition, right? Which would allow the cost of services to go down because obviously the cost of accessing that dig service digitally cannot be more than what it would cost, for instance, for that person to take the bus to the nearest urban center to get that treatment. It has to be also something that is, is very accessible. So that's a really critical point. So if governments are not investing enough to develop that basic foundational infrastructure that you need to attract operators to come and plug into that and provide services. What else should they be doing to enable that? Is it possible for them to attract private operators, perhaps some kind of partnerships that allows them to put that infrastructure in place and create that framework that is needed to make this a possibility? Those years, they can actually attract private sector, which is actually what is happening now in many African countries, maybe in all of them. But that is where the cost remains high because the private operator is not charity. The private operator gets resources, gets funding from a bank at a cost, at a very high cost. And then when he provides that service, provides service at a commercial cost for a profit. And as I said earlier, who pays for that? It goes back to the end user. Now, if government sees this as an opportunity to give health care to its people, because a healthy people is a healthy nation, if you decide that, look, I need to invest this amount of money or resources into the healthcare system, you put it into building that backbone. It shouldn't be for private operators. If you attract private sector, yes, they are very excited to come in, every business person sees every opportunity as, in, as an opportunity for you to make money. So when you invite them, they come in and know that they provide it. They make money from it. The government still has not done its basic responsibility. It has not played its role to the people. The government has a duty to actually budget, to invest in the health of the people. In doing that, even if they put in any amount of money, securing the people anywhere in the world is number one responsibility of government. You can't, for instance, leave the, the security of your people to chance, and then you say that you are a government. The same thing, if you have a country where there is famine, there is disease, there's poverty, the people who work in public and private sector to measure the GDP of the, of the country goes up are healthy people. There are people who are healthy and they can sit down and think. But if everybody is sick, then you don't have a government. You don't have a system. So my number one advice would be that every government in Africa should actually take the healthcare sector as number one priority. And if they do that, they should invest any amount that is necessary to provide a backbone. It should not be left to commercial operators or private sector operators. When they put that backbone, they will make even more money from the taxes they are going to tax the operators in the long run. Because certainly when the services are being used, operators pay what they call annual operating license to the government. And when you have a lot of people who are healthy, they also be gainfully employed even in the operating companies. But when you don't have that backbone in place, 
I want to give you an example of what happens in Geneva. Without a backbone that is available there, you will not have a robust network. That backbone has been there for, I mean, at least a century, if not more. And it wasn't provided by private sector people. It was provided by governments. The same thing happens if you go to the UK. The same thing if you go to the US. And everywhere else in the world, no country that loves its people allows commercial people to decide what backbone is in place, even for security reasons. You now have that backbone because each operator provides its own for its own use. And even if it leases it to another operator, it will even be at even a higher cost again. No matter how much a product costs, it is not the company that produces, that produces the product that pays for it. It is the buyer of that product. That is why it is not attractive when we talk about reaching the poorest of the poor, the healthcare services in, in Africa. It's not going to be attractive. It's not going to be attractive to the person who is in the rural area because the person will ask himself or herself, I haven't had a meal today and I'm going to pay X amount of money for an ICT uh, service in order to, to receive this healthcare service. And then you are told that uh, medication you are told to take you are told to take them after a meal or along with the meal. The person has no meal and he has some amount of money which you can use for the meal. And if you divide it into two or three, everything goes into the ICT sector. Then what is left for the, uh, the healthcare? What's left for the meal? What does he do? He goes first for the meal and then we all lose. So it goes back to government responsibility. So governments really have to step up and put that foundational infrastructure. That is the basic starting point. Otherwise, none of that is is really possible. And then you will have issues of food security, energy security that comes into that, whether people can afford all of these different things that they need to get healthcare services. If countries are not investing in putting in place this basic infrastructure, the foundation that they need to provide those basic services digitally, could they leverage national resources? Nigeria has oil. Many countries have minerals, a wide range of minerals, gold, diamonds. Could those resources be leveraged to build this foundation, protecting African economies? I remember the African Union meeting that we had on, on vaccines for Africa. Mr. Donald Kaberuka saying that protecting health is no longer an optional thing for African governments. If they want to protect African economies, they have to protect health. So is there a case here to say that the infrastructure gap is too wide and to be able to find the resources to put in place the basic, you know, broadband infrastructure that allows us to reach the most underserved populations in our communities with digital health services, let's look at the natural resources and use those to actually put that investment in place. Actually, um, every country has resources available to it. Now, how you use the resources is now your own responsibility. At every year, every country does a budget. What goes where? What is your priority? Some years back, the WHO said that um, healthcare in Southern Africa remains the worst in the world, with few countries able to spend the minimum of $34 or $40 a year per person. That is very shocking. And the point is that it's not as if these resources are not there completely. If you don't invest in healthcare, you have people who are getting sick, more and more people sick than people who are, are healthy. Then productivity is low and also go down. You have natural resources and they are used every year. What are they used for? Without the political will 
there is no country in Africa that is going to make it, whether in healthcare or in any sector. It is those who are the head of affairs to decide, look, we are making X amount of money from gold this year or diamond or, or oil this year. We want to allocate X amount of money into our healthcare sector. Without that political will, there's nobody in the private sector that's going to go and make that change. So it goes back to the leadership. The political will to say, I have to have this amount. I have been seeing these figures from WHO and I, I don't think it should continue. I must change the scenario. And then that scenario will change. You see, the problem is that in Africa, we've made a lot of mistakes in the past. Some of them we can blame what I would say, our heritage, which was handed down to us. If you go back in history, Africa has a very terrible history of slavery, and then which led to imperialism, and then colonialism, and then capitalism. Now, there's a very terrible word which has become commonplace in Africa today, which was actually exported into Africa. Corruption. It is a word that is not African. Corruption is not African. It is a word that became African or become part of Africa from the colonial masters. I give you the background to that. When they came into Africa, they met our ancestors. And then they want to take away slaves. What did they do? They corrupted their minds. They gave them gold and stuff like that in exchange for our young people that are taking away. That's already the beginning of corruption. And over time, by the time you have imperialism and then you have colonialism, you have some way by what takes place in Europe, taking away all the products in Africa to go and develop Europe. If you now begin to prefer what comes from Europe to what is in Africa, already a corrupted mind. There are banks in Geneva that have all of secret accounts. A lot of the resources that are there are from top world countries' leaders. These accounts are not traceable. I'll give you an example of our own former leader in Nigeria here. Labacha, who the West has to return some amount of money that was actually stolen and kept there. This is what they told us was there. We don't know how much was actually there. All this goes down to what? Corruption. Now, when you have resources from a country, and the country cannot use those resources the way it wants, and this same money goes back to go and sit in Europe, where the economy is already well-made. The European economy is, 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 is more than well-made. It doesn't require any resources from us. But sadly, a lot of resources that come from Africa. We have refineries in Nigeria, for instance, we don't refine our, our petroleum, which is a very sad thing. We don't, we don't refine the crude. We have four refiners in Nigeria. We don't refine the crude. We actually should be exporting petroleum products and the crude at the same time. I come to I come to Geneva almost two, three, three times a year. I'm always in, in Kaftan like this. I go to Germany. I go to everywhere in the world. The point is that makes you comfortable. It's your own identity. See, once you change your identity, you start looking different. You are already beginning to take away your own personality. And then you are copying someone. And then he tells you how to behave. And you behave that way, then you are that person, you don't get yourself. One of the things we must do as Africa is, first of all, young people who have seen, they've gone everywhere, they are probably used to watch watching television and seeing things that are done in Europe. How can they be more African? It's when there's a movement that teaches them. This is the history of Africa. This is how Africa was. And this is Africa as number one. Before it was taken away, now you can take it back. You, you can actually can do it. Start now. That's a movement. So that even when those will not become in government tomorrow, that government will be a different would differently focus. Our entire government in Africa today are focused differently. They are focused on Europe and America. They are not focused on Africa. And you can't do it by force overnight. The youth must be mobilized to think differently. Not to antagonize anybody, but to begin to change their mindset that over time, when they then say get into government, it will not become a government focus on Africa and Africa. Then we can relate with any other continent at part. Not a level where we wait they tell us what to do, then we do it. That's the one thing, one movement that I wish we could lead. It is the reason, for instance, when I listen to people like like Enedu, whom I've listened to, first time I heard him was maybe year 2000, I can't remember now. I actually got, 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 got motivated. These are people that, you will have them in places. 
and they talk to the youth and the youth begin to change. What you don't have, don't bother about it. You can you can you can live without that. And when you need it, you buy it when you like it, not when they want to give it to you. That is the mindset. I try to tell my children, eat what you have. If I don't have it in the house, you can't eat it. If we don't have it, we can afford to go and buy it. Yeah, but you won't take from anybody. That is the mindset. How do we not do it? Absolutely. That's a perfect way to end. You just explained the same thing that this great prof I was telling you about, Prof Abdul Karim, said to me yesterday that we have to start with the children. We have to start with the youths. And we have to go back to our roots. And we have to teach them the value of our identity, the great things and, and what we are giving up as individuals when we let go of those things. So it's a perfect way to end. Mr. Avang, it's a pleasure to have you on and thank you so much for sharing your insights and your analysis. And to our audience, thank you so much for watching. Subscribe, like us, or simply send us your comments, including any other topics that you would like us to discuss on Let's Talk About Health in Africa. Thank you so much, Mr. Avang. Thank you, Linnea, for having me.